Seven Studios. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network. Paragon, Paragon Seven, Seven Studios. Studios. How how good was Slum Village? Slum Village was in their prime before before about 10 really started to struggle with substance abuse and, and before Jay Dilla's lupus caught up to him. When you had when you had Elzai and Bot 10 and Jay Dilla on the wheels of steel, man, putting those putting those amazing beats together. And on this track on Thelonious, they had comments on them. What? Slum Village, man. Slum Village was is one of the most underrated groups in, in hip hop history. And if you listen to Fantastic Volume 2, this song is also on Common's album, Like Water for Chocolate, which, in my opinion, is one of Common's better albums. But this is really the, the classic era of, of, of conscious music. You had, like, Raucous Records was hot during this time of year. You had the sound bombing. And all this stuff kind of came together at the same time. And I was a big fan of the Raucous movement the slum villages, the De La Souls, the tribe. I, I love conscious hip-hop music. Love, love, love Talib Kweli and high tech. And slum village, in, in my opinion, Jay Dillon, man, you're, you're just talking about fantastic music. I feel like they had a lot of additional albums they could have put on the on on the table. I just wanted to give these guys their flowers, man. I was I was I play stuff on the show. I try to play stuff that's retro on the show but i also try to play stuff that that takes me back to a happier time man. time before coronavirus time before all of the the foolishness that we have going on in the world man this was just feel good music that was a great era of hip-hop we've had some bad eras i remember the shiny suit era that was not a great era of hip-hop when i had to see puffy and mace floating around in videos with uh <laughs> That, that they're in zero gravity and they're wearing these Michelin man puffer suits. That was not the best era of, of hip hop. But but fortunately, you had your guys like Common, your most defs, your slum villages, your 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 Jay Dillas, your your consistency with DJ Premier. Yeah, guys like that that saved this industry. And then and now you have dudes like the baby and, and little Duval. And, and all of these younger people that they're, they're doing their best to carry the torch. And I'm not a big fan of some of the younger generation of music, but these guys are really dope and they're really talented and they're reaching out to a different audience than, than, than myself. But, but I had to shout out, I had to shout out Slum Village, man. Conan Gardens. I was a Jay Dilla disciple. Anything that Jay Dilla has put out, I own it. I own all of his records. I have as many of his records as I can get on vinyl. I think that the 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 instrumental donuts kind of changed my life. If that's not if donuts isn't a five mic album from an instrumental perspective, I don't know what is. Jay Dillow was recording that while he was declining in health for lupus. And if you look up the samples, a lot of his samples talk about death and dying and the afterlife and stuff like that. And I was that dude that loved the music so much. 
I would look up the samples of my favorite artists. Who are they sampling? What are the songs? And what do those songs mean? And I would go through the whole catalog and I'd listen to all the music. And that's what I love about hip hop because it stands on the shoulders of jazz and funk and disco and bebop and even music from, from the ragtime era, the, the big band era. Hip hop stands on all of that stuff and that's, that's what makes it dope. I wanted to start the show today talking about, I missed this last week, but I wanted to talk about this week. I wanted to talk about Steph Curry becoming the, 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 the most prolific three-point shooter in the history of the, of the NBA. And I've been having this running argument on my chat with my friends. We all have our chats and we're going back and forth about sports and we're talking about if you're, if you're a parent, you're talking about parenthood. You're, you're talking about whatever your sexual orientation, who you think is attractive or, or not attractive. You're talking about what's going on, on TV. We all have our chats. We have our friends from high school, our friends from college. And the chats are cool because everyone's at a different stage of, of their life. Sometimes you have some friends that are bachelors and they're looking for something completely different than, than your friends that have four kids are looking for. And then you have friends that are going through a divorce. You have friends that are going through health problems. You, you pray together. You, you comment on what's going on in society together. If you have loved ones that, that are struggling with their health or struggling financially, those, those chats are forms to, to really to discuss and, and uplift one another. And then, you know, people, you got people, they're still talking about who they had sex with in college back in 1998. There's always that guy on the chat. It's like, yo, you remember when I tapped that? It's just like, yo, Slim, she's got three kids and, and married a multimillionaire. She's not thinking about you. But on my chat, we've had this running discussion about Steph Curry. And I was an early adapter to Steph Curry. And I thought, I thought several years ago when he was, when he was in his MP, MVP form, he still is in MVP form, but the year he won the MVP, I thought that Steph Curry was perhaps one of the best players in the history of the NBA. And then when I saw his weaknesses, and I, it's not a diss to Steph Curry because he's a phenomenal scorer and, and obviously the best shooter in the history of the NBA, but I realized he's not the best player. He's not in the best player commentaries. He's not up there with Magic. He's not up there with the Copester, rest in peace. He's not up there, obviously not up there with Mike. I don't think anyone's up there with Mike. He's not in that discussion. But his ability to shoot has changed the way that basketball's played and the way that we look at basketball, and he's the best shooter of all time. If you put some, some muscle on him, it's a little bit more difficult for him to get his shot off. He's not the guy that can carry the team and go out and put up 40, 10, and 7 to close out. He's not like Giannis, where Giannis game six, he was like, bleep that, I want my ring, 50 points. That's not who Steph Curry is, and that's not a knock on him. That doesn't, that, we shouldn't diminish him for that. We should celebrate him for who he is as opposed to focusing on what he's not. And what he is, in my opinion, you, so you sometimes mix up talent and greatness. And Steph Curry's two-way talent isn't necessarily as big as, as people like Kobe that were a two-way player, LeBron, Jordan, even Kawhi Leonard. Steph Curry doesn't have the ability to affect the game on both ends like a healthy Kawhi Leonard. But what Steph Curry is, he's great. He might not be the most talented, 
but his transcendent greatness in shooting elevates him above many players in the pantheon of the history of the game. It puts him on the fringe of that list, of the fringe of the GOATs. Puts him on the GOAT Jr. type of list. And we, we talk about players who have influenced the game the most in my entire lifetime. And we know that we know that Magic and Bird, when I was a kid, Magic and Bird, really Magic more than Bird, those guys saved the NBA. Before Magic and Bird, I remember watching NBA Finals games on tape delay. They were showing the Bullets versus the Portland Trailblazers at 2 in the morning on UHF channels. And in, in, in I lived in Baltimore. <laughs> I lived in the DMV. They were showing those games at 1, 2 in the morning. And if you remember, if you're old like me, the TV, TV used to go off. TV went dark. They would actually put, they would put an American flag and the American flag would be waving from 1 a.m. to like 7 a.m. when the morning news would come on. And that's where, that's where NBA was before Magic and Bird. Magic and Bird elevated it to a national sport to where the All-Star games were popping. Magic and Bird had the first major shoe deal. I remember working as a little kid all summer, mowing, mowing yards, picking up trash, stuff like that. And taking my first little money and going to buy a pair of Magic Johnson Converse sneakers. And they were like 45 bucks. And I worked all summer to get 45 bucks to get those Magic Johnson Converse sneakers. And then Jordan came into the league. Now, Jordan made the league global. Jordan was, was a god. Jordan was above Bird and Magic. If you, if you look at the, at the, at the, the Last Dance documentary, Bird and Magic, they were like, they saw, the, they saw Jordan come in in the early 90s, late 80s, and they're like, oh, yeah, he's better than us. It's over. We better get as many titles as we can. Once he, once he gets past Bill Ambeer tackling him and Mark Aguirre trying to take his knees out, it's going to be Jordan's league. That's the end of it. The best, the best thing about the last dance, they had a dream team game, and Bird was towards the end of his career. Jordan and Magic were going against each other with the 5-on-5. Jordan was the captain of one team in the practice. Magic captain of the other team. And Bird just sat it out. And Bird was arguably top two or top three all-time in the NBA at that point in time. He was just like, I'm just going to sit here and watch this. I'm going to watch young Mike give Magic the business, and I'm going to laugh because I already know that he's better than us, and I already know that he's, gonna, he's destined for a level of greatness that we are not destined for. And when other goats tell a goat that they're actually the goat, that's some goat-level stuff. Then after Michael, we kind of went through this era. We were looking for someone. Remember Harold Miner? We were looking for someone that reminded us of Mike. Remember Vince Carter, who had a great career? We were hoping that it would go to one of those guys. It ended up being Iverson. AI is actually the one, in my opinion, that that carried the torch after Michael from a greatness standpoint. Now, Kobe was a better player than Allen Iverson. Obviously, Kobe had more rings. Shaq had the rings. But the league resembled AI. AI had a greater influence on the NBA than Kobe, even though Kobe was a better player. Everyone in the NBA wanted to have braids. Everyone in the NBA wanted to have tattoos, wanted to dress like Allen Iverson, wanted to carry themselves like Allen Iverson. Everyone, he was the first of that era, the little guy, and I've seen Allen Iverson in person a couple of times. He's listed as six feet. Allen Iverson is 5'10", 155 pounds. 
and we he was doing the videos where he was teaching people how to do the crossover and spin move and stuff like that. And Allen Iverson made the NBA street. And then, of course, LeBron was the face of the league. For many years, it became LeBron's league. LeBron has taken over LeBron. We love LeBron. He's 37. We're celebrating his career. He's towards the end, but still playing like he's in his early 30s. Still the best player on the court most of the time when he's playing. And, and LeBron's best still beats almost everyone else's best, except for maybe Giannis, except for maybe Kawhi when he's healthy. Those are the only two-way players that can really mess with LeBron. But I dare to say that Steph Curry's influence on the NBA may be higher than all of those people, except for Michael Jordan. Because Steph Curry, the, the three-point line has been in effect since 1979. Bird was considered to be a great three-point shooter. And a great year for, for Larry Bird was hitting 120, 133 pointers. Steph Curry has single-handedly made the NBA a three-point and defense league. That's everybody shoots the three. You have seven footers, you have you have Nikola Jokic that shoots the three. You have Brooke Lopez that shoots the three. You have guys that that's all they do is shoot threes and they play a little bit of defense. And that's because of Steph Curry. Steph Curry has made the three into the great equalizer, the step back three. The 30, the 30 foot three. You would never see people back in the 80s. You'd see Bird shoot threes occasionally. You had you had people like Vinny the microwave that would come in and he could shoot threes. You had specialists. You had John Paxson that was a three-point shooter. You had Craig Hodges, that was a three-point shooter. Tim Legler. Those guys were never pulling up from 30 feet. Those guys were never pulling up from the logo. Steph Curry has changed the game so much. Go go to your kids. If you have kids or, or nieces or nephews, go to a youth basketball game and see how the game is played. You'll see children, people 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. I don't even mean, I don't even mean your high school elite. I don't mean your elite AAU people. I'm talking about your typical elementary, middle school kids. They're shooting three-pointers. And they're making three-pointers, and that's because of Steph Curry. Steph Curry is the first person that realized if I can shoot 40%, 43% from three, that shot is more valuable from an actuarial type of chart. You get into the statistical regression analysis. That shot's more valuable in the big picture than me taking it to the basket. And that only comes from someone who's, who's physically limited. Michael Jordan... He wasn't going to take a lot of threes. He didn't need to take a lot of threes. He'd get to the basket and dunk on you. Shaq could dunk on you. Kareem could dunk on you. Kobe could dunk on you. Tim Duncan, fundamental, off the backboard. Dirk Nowitzki, seven feet. No one, he could shoot over anyone. Who's going to defend that? Steph Curry is the first high-volume guy that's shooting it at that position. And it's because he has to do it, because he's not a guy that finishes above the rim. And he's changed the game and he's changed the way that kids play the game. He changed the way that coaches coach the game. And I think when, when it's all said and done, Steph Curry's greatness, he has the rings. He has MVP. He's, he's put up numbers in, in big games. But he's not a two-way player. He's never really been a two-way player. He's a great leader. He's a great person. He really never, I think one game he against the Cavs, he started cussing and, and threw his mouthpiece. Other than that, you haven't really had any missteps from him. But what Steph Curry has done, he's changed the he, – his greatness at shooting at three has changed the way that the game is constructed. He's changed rosters. 
because of Steph Curry, you'll have a generation of kids, right or wrong, a lot of people hate, a lot of coaches hate to see it, but you'll have a generation of kids that at 11 and 12 and 13, they're taking 25-foot three-pointers, and they're making them. And that's something that you've never seen with influence with anyone except Michael Jordan. So when it all goes down, Steph Curry will be remembered as, if not the most influential or, or, or second, he's going to be in the top two or three as far as great as influ- and influential players, even if he's not the most talented player to way to, to, to play the game, his greatness is going to be something that we're going to be talking about for the rest of our lives and generations to come. Paragon seven studios rampage, the first Lieutenant of the universal flip mode squad. But at the same time, like I said, in me, you know, I'm 56 years old. Damn. James Lewis. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network. As a former quality executive who has literally retrieved and coded millions of charts, I've worked with our new partners over at Episource for many years and am proud to now serve as a brand ambassador and part of their product development team. Episource is a global industry leader in chart retrieval, coding, quality analytics, and in-home assessments. For information on Episource, go to www.episource.com and fill out one of their contact forms to request a demonstration. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network. women are fierce, brilliant, courageous, dope. Black women are making a difference, making history, and changing the world. I think about all of the black women who have showed up to fight for justice. We are starting to finally accept all the skills and talents a woman can bring to the table. Urban One, thank you. This one is so special. I'm reading this from, from CNN.com. I'm trying not to laugh. Actually, the CNN business. The title of this, a black couple had a white friend show their home and its appraisal rose by nearly a half a million dollars. That's a lot of money. Tanisha, which is a, was a very Afrocentric name, Tate Austin, and her husband became suspicious when the Northern California home they spent years renovating was valued by an appraiser far lower than what they expected. 
So when they asked for a second opinion last year, a white friend. Gotta have some white friends now. I, I talk about all the time. Cat Williams talks about that. You, be, you better have you some friends of different ethnicities. I'm getting fired up and, and stumbling over my words. You better have yourself some Latino friends, some white friends, some 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 friends, some some Mexican friends. You better have some diversity in your portfolio. So a white friend pretended to own their home, and they removed all of the artwork. And photos that could show that it actually belonged to a black family. So remember on Bad Boys, on Bad Boys One, when 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 uh, when Martin was staying with with Will Smith, with Mike Lowry, and he was supposed to stay, and the and the witness was like, "Why do you have pictures of this other taller, much better looking guy than you?" And he was like, "Oh, this is every time that 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 he saved my life." They they did a reverse of that. They took down all of the pictures. The new appraisal for their home in Marin County was was more than one point four million dollars and nearly half a million dollars higher than the previous estimate. What that appraisal did is what we were actually asking to the appraisers to do not to consider race, to not consider neighborhoods or the lines that have been drawn and perpetuated by redlining. Tate Austin told CNN. So last week they did what I love to see people do that are that are cheated by racism. Last week the couple filed a lawsuit in federal court in San Francisco, arguing that racial discrimination played a role in the low valuation of their home. In their lawsuit, the Austins say the first appraiser, Jeanette Miller, who is a white woman, violated the Fair Housing Act when she took into account the family's race and the racial demographics of the house's location for her appraisal. We shouldn't have to go through this. We shouldn't have to have our white friend standing in for us, Paul Austin said. CNA reached out to, to Miller and the company, yada, yada, yada. Obviously, they didn't, they didn't want to talk about it. The Austins are seeking financial damages and asked the court to permanently ensure that the defendants won't engage in dem- discriminatory housing practices. I can't even read it. I'm so angry. Discriminatory housing practices directly through others, the lawsuit says. Now, we know that that homes, and I've talked about this, and I haven't talked about it since we've moved to WOL, but before I got into healthcare, I worked in real estate. And we know that homes in African-American communities are valued less, and that, that does several things, but I want to focus on two of them. I love this article, and I love that these people are standing up for their rights, and they're calling out. The individuals five hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money and this is this is what i need my brothers and sisters to understand when you're five hundred thousand dollars short and i'm looking at the picture this couple seems like a relatively young couple how much equity do you build over the course of time so if your house is worth 1.4 million now maybe in 20 years it's worth 3 million maybe it's worth 2 million maybe it's worth 2.3 million or 2.2 million or 2.6 million if you're short $500,000, what does that mean when it's time to sell? You're, you're getting $500,000 less. The interest that you're drawing off of that $500,000 is less. If you pass away and leave that home to your children, that's $500,000 less that they have to borrow against, to get money out of, to do the things that they need to do, like go to school, manage health care, plan for their future, and other things that people need in the United States of America to pass wealth down generation to generation. And that's the big con 
I say on this show all the time, smart people earn interest. Dumb people pay interest. And in this case, it's not a smart or dumb thing. In this case, it's people that are stripped of the opportunity to earn interest and are forced into the opportunity or forced into the unfair systematic injustice of having to pay interest. So the more equity you have in your home, the more net worth you have, the lower interest rates you can get, the more you have to leave to your loved ones if you were to pass away and you pass generational wealth. How do you think a lot of people that, that own business, you think a lot of these people that you see out here that own these businesses and they were brilliant? Yeah, you got your Elon Musk's. You, you got guys like that that's just a genius. He's got a 200 IQ. But a lot of these people, such as President Trump, they inherited their money. A lot of people think that President Trump, and this is not a partisan issue, people think that President Trump, it's funny, people in, in, in certain pockets of the United States, and I'm not going to name those pockets, they think that President Trump is some sort of genius. If my father had left me $300 million in the 80s, I think that I would have been able to amass that into a billion-dollar fortune, even though I don't really think that President Trump is a billionaire. I would have made some money off of that. If you just put that money into the ground... And let it sit there for 20 years, you're going you're gonna to have a billion dollars. So black people are often robbed of the opportunity to generate wealth because we, we're on the wrong side of interest payments. We're, we're paying them and not receiving them. The second part is gentrification. When you devalue black neighborhoods, what happens is when the Walmarts come in, when the Targets come in, when the Clintons come in to Harlem, because it's not, it's not partisan, right? Because I know, I know a whole lot of, of wealthy liberals who will go in to African-American neighborhoods and offer them 20 cents on the dollar for their properties. And most of these African-Americans are poverty stricken. They can barely pay the taxes on their, on their homes. And they have brownstones. You get brownstones in Brooklyn. You can, you pay 275 K on that. You flip it for 1.3 million. And when you devalue black neighborhoods, you set up gentrification. You set up opportunities for other people to come in that aren't in those communities and, and take that land and purchase that land for extremely low rates, ultimately erecting their own businesses or their own high-level condos or stuff like that. And those are two things that crush us financially in our communities is, is paying interest, paying large interest amounts over the course of 20, 30 years, and gentrification. And that's part of the redlining process. And that's we I know that, that the federal government, they, they outlawed quote-unquote air quotes Redlining, but I've, I've worked in the industry. I've seen underwriting. I've seen mortgages. I've seen people take advantage, taken advantage of. And I love, I love this article because this was an African-American family in Northern California where it's very expensive to live. They fought for every cent that they deserve. And there's no reason that it should not matter. It should be, it should be color agnostic. You buy a house, you invest in the house, you invest in equity. You take care of your property. It shouldn't matter if you have a bunch of pictures of, of African art or like my office, a bunch of pictures of your wall of fame of, of hip hop albums. African-Americans have to be able to leverage the concept of building equity and mitigating their interest payments and ultimately gaining interest, not paying it for us to, to be where we need to be as a community, both in the short term and the long term. Lance J Show. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network.
James Lewis. Ohio State has a superior roster. Ohio State has a better quarterback. They have better running backs. They have better offensive line, better defensive line, better corners, better safeties, better cheerleaders, better coaches, better fans, better uniforms, better stickers on the helmet. Rampage, the first lieutenant of the Universal Flipmode Squad. Better stadium. You are listening to the Lance J Radio Network.